I got to say, it is extremely challenging to teach three weeks in a row, once on wives, once on husbands, and then the next on family and parenting. And, uh, and I, I just got it. It's been so hard. If you ever want to just be convicted by the Lord at, at what a crummy job you're doing, uh, do that. Teach on these three things right in a row because these are the like, hugest areas of our lives, these uh, the wives and, and husbands and parenting. It's just, it's like so all-encompassing. If those three areas of your life go down the tubes, it's like there's no recovering from it. It'll affect everything. It'll affect your job. It'll affect every. This is really the foundation of, of our relationships and who we are deep down. And I know it's so hard to see God in the right way when you have a messed up dad or a messed up mom or a messed up family uh, because you get so frustrated and you get so burnt out on people um, and yet God has given us his word. So let's, um, let's pray and see how the Lord would instruct us today, because it's pretty remarkable, actually. Jesus, we, we ask again your Holy Spirit to fill us. God, we cannot understand your word without your spirit. And Lord, we pray for hearts that truly desire you. We don't, Lord, we don't desire to be right. We desire to know you and to know that you are right. And Lord, if you would make us right, that is the work of your spirit and your grace in our life. Uh, but Lord, we're not here to defend ourselves, and we're not here to um, be seen as great or awesome. Lord, we are humble before you. We're a humble church. Uh, Lord, we are small in size and in stature. God, we, we desire nothing but to be under the shadow of your wing. Because God, you are so good to those who put their trust in you and their hope in you. So, Lord, speak to us. In your name I pray. Amen. I thought that I would be a good dad, naturally. I just thought that it would, it would just work out because I had a great dad, and my grandpas were okay, and I just thought that I would be a good dad. But the reality was not that in my life. I quickly found that my own nature was far too selfish and I quickly became overwhelmed when it came to parenting. When I first started having kids, and I now have six, but in those first early days when it was just Zyman and, and he was a baby, I found that getting up early and, and being in the, up in the middle of the night was a challenge to my flesh. And my flesh was like, this is not comfortable. And I was young and immature, and it was, it was not good. And add marriage problems on top of that, and I was nearly down for the count. I had no patience. I had no authority. As my kids grew, they were crazy. The boys were out of control, I'm telling you. I was never more embarrassed than when I went up to Greeley uh, to visit some friends at, at their house, and the boys would not stop picking up rocks and throwing them at things. And, and there was a cat, and they kept throwing the rocks at the cat, which I wasn't necessarily disappointed in, but I was telling them, not, sorry, Sandra, um, I was telling them to stop. You know, this isn't my cat, you know, if it was my, but it's not my cat, and I, I need you guys to listen. And they're like two and three, okay? So they're very young, and, and, and then they're throwing rocks in this little pond, and and chasing the dog and pulling its tail, and the dog's getting upset, and the people I'm visiting are like, get your kids under control. And it was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. And it was, it was like, I knew that they're just, it was wrong. And I tried to pass it off on their age, but I knew that the Lord was using it in my life to show me and teach me that I, I had failed as a parent. And they were two and three, and, and disobedience isn't the end of the world. We'll, we'll see some stuff having to deal with that in a little while. But the Lord used children in my life to change me, to really change me. Um, you know, as Dana and I got married and, and John came into our life, John has special needs and he's autistic, and, and his needs are truly greater or, or different than than. Um, a typically developing child, and so it's, it's hard. 
It's, it gets really difficult. It gets long sometimes when you're just like, can't you, don't you understand? And, and they're, they're children. They're, they don't understand. They're born without character. So let's look at the verses that we have before us right now in Ephesians chapter 6. And let's find out God's plan and how God changed me and how he can transform all of us. And maybe you're sitting there and you, you don't have parents. You have no, uh, well, you have parents, but <laughs> maybe they're not around anymore. Or maybe you aren't parents yourself and you think this doesn't apply to you, but I, I, I beg to differ. This applies greatly to anyone because you know a parent. You can help them. And I know what it is like to be drowning as a parent in the sea of what do I do? What do I do? What's the right thing to do? I know what it's like. So look with us at Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it be may be excuse me, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Verse 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So God has set up a system for our families. And our job as the church is to equip you with this plan to honor God in your family. It's, a, it's really a way for your children to live a long and happy life. It says that here. If your children grow up and they're trained to obey their parents, there's a promise that goes along with that. And, and not children that just obey because they're scared, but children who grow up to want to obey. That's what we really want, isn't it? And if you get that, the Bible says if that's the success story where your children grow up and they're obeying because they want to, man, their life is going to be blessed. Now, it doesn't mean tragedies won't happen or God might not use them in another way, but the general way it goes is that they will be very blessed. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, in the New Living Translation, it says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And that's a promise that we have to hold on to, and as Parents, when our kids are crazy and we, we're, we're, they say they hate us and they never want to be with us again and they say we're the worst parents in the world, we have to remember this, that God says, I'm working, I'm working through your parenting to bless your children's life. See, this plan, it comes straight from the word of God. And God has a tremendous amount to say about our families, our wives, our husbands, and our parenting as we've seen in the last three weeks. And this plan or system for a working family, a godly family, has several working parts. You have your wives that we talked about two weeks ago that are to lovingly submit to the leadership of their husbands. And then you have children who are being trained to obey their parents. And then the final working piece is husbands who love their wives and their children sacrificially. And then they lead their family with bravery to honor the Lord. So husbands, this is a lot, has a lot to do with you. You may have thought last week was the end of us dealing with husbands and, and kind of ripping them a new one, if you could say. <laughs> but this week, actually, the training up of the children is, is almost all to do with the husband. So if you want to go on with your own plan of parenting and family, you can do that. But... It will not be with the Lord's help. And it will not honor him. Maybe you think, I've got to figure it out. I know how to raise good kids. That TV told me, or I went to a seminar, or college, this college course taught me what kids need. And you can go that way. But it will be on your own. But God says, I will help you. I, if you train up your, way, your child in the way that he'll go, my way, when he's old, my grace will come upon them and they will not depart from it. Do things my way and you'll see a blessing in your life and your, ch your child's life. But if you go your own way, it creates broken families and fractured relationships. 
And maybe you're already past that. Maybe you already are experiencing brokenness in your family. Well, we have good news towards the end of the study, too, that God can restore even that when we put our trust in him, when we start to follow him and and see him work in this. So let's see what the Lord says first about children. He says children are to obey. Children are to obey. There's just something wonderful about a child who obeys their mother or their father when they're spoken to. You know, uh, they're just on the right track. You, You get the feeling when you hear a mom say something and their kid's like, all right, It honors God. It honors their mother and father. It it works. It's just awesome. It's a blessing. Conversely, there's a real struggle and an angst inside when obedience has not yet been learned, right? You guys have all been at the grocery store and seen a child out of control and, uh, and and you don't know the situation. You don't know what the mother's tried, but you know that that child hasn't yet come under this covering of obedience. And it's, it's a struggle. You're, we don't look down on that because we don't know what that mother or that father has going through or the special needs of that child. But in the, in the same token, it's like we, we know that there's a blessing in obedience and that child hasn't learned those blessings yet. Because we don't have to teach them how to disobey, do we? All you parents say, Amen. That's right. We don't have to teach them how to disobey. They're rightly equipped from that right from the womb, it seems. But as we read this, we need to be reminded also that obedience is not the end goal. We're not out there to try to create robots that do everything that we say because they know they're going to get beat afterwards. That's not the goal. The goal is to create godly character where there was none before. Your parent, your kids are born with zero character. They're cute, but they have zero character. They're not thinking about you at all. They're thinking about eating and sleeping and other stuff. That's it. And as they grow, their focus doesn't shift too much off of themselves for very long. And they have to be taught how to have character, selfless, godly integrity. It doesn't come naturally. Kids are born without character. But he says here, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Not obey because it's the law, but learn to honor God through the tool of obeying your parents. That's what Paul is saying. Obeying God is, obeying your your parents isn't the end. It's a means to the end. The end is glorifying God. Glorifying God. And your parents are there to help you. And so that's the direction. So David Guzak says, this is what... All a parent's discipline for a child must come to. Disobedience must be punished so that obedience can be learned. So we're not teaching obedience for obedience sake. We don't just want obedient kids who know nothing about God or honoring the Lord. We want kids who are learning to love what is right. Love what is right not kids who just don't want to be in trouble. So the question is, how does this discipline happen? How does this godly and Christ-like training take place? Punishment, where does that fit in? And how do we explain the difference between discipline and punishment? These are very important questions that God gives us the answers to. He says, fathers, Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition in the Lord. Well, how do we train them? How do I bring them up? All the fathers in here ask, or all the soon-to-be fathers, or all the people who wish they were fathers, or the people who had fathers, or the people who were married to fathers. We got to know how this happens. I'm going to give you guys four tools for training godly children. The four tools that God gives us in his word. Number one is rules. These could otherwise be described as boundaries. You've heard it said for kindergartners, boundaries are hugs. They keep us safe. Well, rules. Rule number one. Or that's uh, tool number one. Tool number two, we're going to look at these a little more in depth. But tool number two is discipline. And you could otherwise describe this as consequences. 
consequences. Tool number three is punishment. And this is defined as a powerful motivation to accept training. A powerful motivation to accept training. And number four is consistency. What we do is always the same every time. It's dependable. It's reliable. So, number one, rules or boundaries. Why is this a tool that's given to us? Well, there's rules whether you like it or not, right? And if you raise your child in a world with no rules, it's not going to go well for you. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, Moses says, So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. What a great verse when it comes to parenting. They are eventually going to cross over into the land they're supposed to possess. You're going to shoot them out like an arrow. Your children are going to eventually be adults. And it's your job to teach them the statutes and judgments of the Lord, those Ten Commandments, very useful. And because the husband is the leader, he sets the rules in your house. He is the final authority on enforcing these rules. When your child breaks a rule, even if dad's not home, he is breaking dad's rules. This way of using rules brings freedom to moms, to wives, because moms get really stressed out when their children do not listen to them. And rightly so. It's a struggle. It's frustrating. They're at home with these kids all day long, and the kids aren't listening to them, and a mom can easily fall back into a fleshly way of operating where she says, you know, I'm just going to try to figure out how to discipline this kid. And the way God sets up family, there's a different way. It's that dad takes the lead at home before he leaves and after he gets home from work, and he says, these are the rules. These are the punishments. These are the consequences. And mom is going to enforce these while I'm gone. And so dad's at work, and the child says, Mom loves me. Mom thinks I'm so cute. So let me disobey all the rules. And then the mom can say, oh, honey, I do love you. I, it is my role to support you and to cherish you and to comfort you. But you broke one of dad's rules, and so I have to follow what dad said. And we have to follow through with these consequences. Oh, but I don't like that, mom. You're supposed to comfort me. Well, I'm here to comfort you. But dad's rules come first. So let's do that, and then I'll comfort you. And it frees up moms. It does free them up to be who they're created to be. They're not created to be the enforcer and the trainer. What did he say? Fathers, bring up your children. Fathers, it's your responsibility. Rules in your house are your job, dads. If mom is making the rules in your house, something is wrong. So, Number two is discipline. Rule number one, or uh, tool number one, is rules, boundaries, set by dad. Tool number two is discipline or consequences. In Deuteronomy, again, that same book, chapter 11, verse 26, he says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands or the rules of the Lord, your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commands of the Lord or those rules that dad set. But turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. So what happens is we make a list and this is how it works in our family and I, I do encourage you to use this type of system is you make a list of chores or age-appropriate consequences. If you have a young child, something like sitting down for a minute or two minutes or 
you could use the, the length of time as their age. If they're two years old, two minutes. If they're three years old, three minutes. If they're four years old, four minutes. And that is the consequence for breaking one of the rules. We don't jump to punishment yet. We use consequences. Okay, and the consequence is like a chore or something or losing privilege. And once they get older, you write out maybe a list of a bunch of chores that aren't commonly done around your house, and you put them in a box. And when they break a rule, one of the rules that dad set, they say, oh, you say, oh, honey, I'm sorry, I love you, but would you go grab one of the consequences from the consequence box or the disciplines from the discipline box? Would you go grab one and take care of that for me? And then the child has a choice. They can accept the consequence, receive the discipline, and grow in the Lord, or they can reject it. We'll find out what they reject in just a second. But this is their opportunity to accept discipline and grow in the Lord. And here you're going to find the difference between many kids. Some kids are easy. We have one of those. <laughs> maybe two. <laughs> one and a half, maybe. We have a compliant child. And our compliant child, if he gets a discipline... He's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go do this discipline. And, and he generally learns his lesson. He, he, he says, okay, I'm, I'm going to not do that. The rest of our kids <laughs> are generally strong-willed. And, and some of them do accept consequences better than others, but you'll find this. The consequence is the same. The discipline is the same. Sit here for two minutes, sit here for two minutes. This kid does it, and he goes on his way. This kid doesn't quite accept that, and he gets up and walks away before his time. Then you have an issue, which we bring in number three, but I'll get there in just a minute. The, it doesn't mean one child is better than the other at all. It doesn't mean that one's child's heart is closer to the Lord at all. It's just that children learn in a couple different ways. You either have a compliant child or a strong-willed child. And it's the way that they receive discipline. They both need the same amount of love. This one can get devastated pretty quickly by a scolding. This one needs some strength to direct them. And they will take more work, honestly. And what happens is us as parents get lazy. And we say, well, this consequence didn't work the first time I tried it, so there must be the consequences problem. No, it's your child has a tough heart. Your child was born without character, and it's your job to put character in it, so don't say the consequence doesn't work. It's you that doesn't want to work. That's how it works. So one child may be compliant. They may be easier in this, in this part of life. This child may take a lot more work and say, nope, consequence, and then we need to go to step three, tool number three, which is, dis which is punishment, but we'll get there again in a minute. But I don't believe in disciplining my children, you may hear, or you may say. But the word of God says parents must discipline their children. Because number one, I'll give you four reasons. Number one, God commands it. Proverbs 23, again, we read this. Don't fail to discipline your children. They won't die if you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. Wow. God's pretty clear on the issue. Number two, not only does God command it, but it demonstrates that you love them. Many parents have a strong-willed child, and they give up disciplining, and it shows that they don't love their kid. And you say, how can you tell me I don't love my kid? I don't want to hurt my kid. Because God says you don't love your kid. I'm sorry. And if you have a problem with that, then let's speak to the Lord about it. But in Hebrews chapter 2, 12, verse 6, God says, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Discipline and punishment are your job your ministry, your God-glorifying work as a father. That's how it works. That's how you show your child that you love them. To, and the number three, 
We have to discipline our kids because we're raising adults and not children. We say all the time, well, I'm raising children, I'm raising a child. But in fact, you're raising an adult. They're going to be an adult someday. Psalm 32.9 says, do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. We don't want our kids to be still on the umbilical cord when they leave for college. We want them to be able to make their decisions, able to have godly character in their lives. And number four, to keep peace in the home. Hebrews 12, 11, No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceable harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. The result of disciplining your kids is peace at home. How many of you grew up in a home that was not peaceful? How many of you grew up in a, in a life that was just anything but peace, but constant turmoil? And I can say that at times I grew up in a life that was turmoil, and at times I grew up in a very peaceful house. And I, I, I've seen the two differences, and I, the Lord wants us to have a peaceful home. That's it. So we get now to tool number three, which is punishment. How, what is godly punishment? Well, you can kind of think of punishment as discipline 2.0, the next level of discipline. And it's a powerful motivation to accept the training. And another way to look at it is it's a measured amount of pain to motivate, to accept the discipline lesson. A measured amount of pain. A measured amount of pain. It's not abuse. It's not yelling like crazy at them. Sometimes they need a firm word from a mom or dad. But it's not abuse. It's not yelling at them. It's not cursing at them. It's not unloving. But it is physically painful. Society today tells us this is wrong. And we could go into all the reasons why it's right and how not learning the lessons that come through punishment actually and destroy the future of your child. But for now, let's just say, I'm going to trust what God says over what the world tells me today. Proverbs 23, verse 13, we've read it already, but it says, Do not withhold correction from your child. If you beat him with a rod, he shall not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. I'm not saying beat like what came into your mind right there. But with love, with godly, self-serving, self-sacrificing love, we discipline our children with physical pain because it's important for them. Tool number four, we're going to come back to that in a minute, but tool number four is consistency. Always the same, dependable and reliable. What we need to do as parents, is write down our rules. Write down your rules. If you just put the Ten Commandments up and that's your rules, fine. Maybe you have some other rules, or maybe you simplify it and say, respect God, respect others, and respect your things. That's good for young kids. That's the ones that we used as our kids were growing up. Write down your rules and write down the disciplines saying these are your disciplines. You either make a list and they have to do one after the other after the other, or you put a box and put a, papers in there and they draw one out. And write down the punishments. Because this child over here that's strong-willed, he'll be like, all right, I'm not going to do the discipline. I'm not happy with that. I don't accept your discipline. So they say, I'm not going to do it. Or they get up and so you have a punishment. Okay, well, Let's say your punishment is three swats with the hand on the butt. Okay, let's just say that's it. You do that. They may say, I can handle that. And you say, okay, it's time to do your discipline again because it doesn't get them out of doing the discipline. They still have to go back and start from the beginning and do the discipline. And they say, well, I'm going to stop again. Okay, three more swats. Okay, well, that still doesn't work. They say, I can still handle that. We can't then say, okay, 30 swats. We need to stay consistent and say, this is the punishment. Because our goal isn't to get them to 
do the discipline. Our goal is to get them to realize their pride and to submit their will. And if they know that we will consistently punish them, they're going to eventually stop. They will. But the problem is they are sometimes more strong-willed than you are. They are sometimes more determined than you are. And this is where God tells Joshua, be courageous and strong. Be a leader. And dads, this is not your wife's job. Dads, your wife should not be the one that say, that's doing it 10 times in a row. You need to be the one that says, this, I'm taking care of this, and we're going to keep doing this until you will accept the discipline. Because I'm, it's my job from God. I have to do this from the Lord. And so that's how it all works together. It's how it all works together. We write down our rules, we write down our consequences, and then we write down our punishments so that we are held accountable, so that we are held accountable by our own rules. What's going to happen if they do it two times and they say, I, I get punishment twice, and then I know every time mom gives up and dad sits on his butt watching TV? What's going to happen? They're going to determine in their heart they will always take the punishment twice. Because it's kind of like playing a game of let's make a deal with your kids. Behind door number one, you have follow the rules. Are they going to pick that door? Sometimes, probably not. Behind door number two, it's break the rules and accept the consequences. They probably don't like that one either. And door number three is no rules and no discipline. Which one are your kids going to pick? Which one are they always going to be directed towards? They are always going to be going towards no rules and no discipline. So they are not going to be happy when you decide you're going to be faithful to discipline them. But listen to me. If you don't get anything else out of today, listen to this statement. You are not their friend. You're not. You are their parent. Wow, this is... Not at all what I believe or not at all what I think. This is what God is calling you to be. Not their friend, but their parent. Friends, they're, not, they're great. There's a place for that in their lives. But a parent has deeper responsibilities. And that's what we need to understand. You are not here to make them happy. You're not. You are here to make them holy. You are, you are here to love them, true, but not let them do whatever they want. Letting them disobey without consequences is not love. It's easy. It sure is easy, but it is not love. Of course, love is to be our guiding principle when implementing parenting. And so turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's look at some of the some of the rules that we're supposed to put on ourselves as we parent. Dads, as we implement discipline. Moms, as we explain to our children what righteousness is and what holiness is, what right living is, these are our guidelines. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In fact, love never fails. So let's apply that quickly to our parenting. And we're going to take it in the negative sense, and we're going to be convicted. I'm telling you right now. What love is not? What parenting should not be? Love is not impatient. Impatience is putting selfish or unrealistic expectations on our children or hurrying them beyond their capabilities. You may have heard the illustration of telling the baby 
who has made a mess in the kitchen. You clean up and you're not getting any dinner until this is clean as they're rolling around because they can't even walk yet. It's not, doesn't work that way. They only have a certain ability and we have to be patient with where they're at. Number two, love is not unkind. Unkindness is getting angry, yelling, judging, or comparing or not accepting your child's failures or mistakes. Romans 12 says, be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Our discipline should be with kindness. Well, how can you be spanking your kid and be kind at the same time? Ask Jesus. Do it in love. Love does not envy. Parental jealousy can, or even envy, can result when parents have had a painful childhood and their children have it easier than they did. Or even when a child's accomplishments surpass that of their parents. Sometimes a, a parent can be like, you have it so good. And they actually envy their children. Love does not parade itself or brag. It's never appropriate to impress our children with how wise or great we are or to belittle them in order to show them how important we are or to say such things as, I had it a lot harder when I was your age or you'll never be as good as I was. Love is not puffed up or arrogant. We are a team pulling together, not dictators ruling or lording over our children with brutality or fear. 1 Peter 5.3 in the J.B. Phillips translation says, says, you should not aim at being dictators, but examples of Christian living in the eyes of the flock committed to your charge. So dads, we're leading a group of sheep that are following you. Number six, love does not behave rudely or act unbecoming. Purposely embarrassing or demeaning our kids by discussing their failures or shortcomings in the presence of others is demeaning. It's rude. Ephesians 2, uh, 4, 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good and necessary for edification that may impart grace to the hearers. Love does not seek to have its own way, insisting that your children and your family do only what you want to do. The verse that says, Let no one seek his own, but each other's well-being comes to mind. Number eight, love does not think evil. Love does not keep score of our children's failures or mistakes and then beat them over the head when they have an whenever the opportunity arises. Another translation says, um, it's not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do wrong. I like that one. Number nine, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Something like telling our children, I told you so, or you deserve what you got, when they fall or sin or experience the consequences for their sin. Love does not rejoice, uh, is not rejoicing in the truth. Um, so failing to praise our children for their good deeds is a failure. In 3 John 4, he says, I have no greater joy than seeing that my children walk in truth. So John had a, a great ability to praise his kids. And then a uh, couple more here. Love bears all things. So not loving or bad parenting would be not bearing all things. Avoiding, criticizing, or neglecting your child because they have failed to meet your expectations. Not behaving, uh, or excuse me, not believing or hoping all things. Consistently doubting whether your child says before you know all the facts. Just doubting, saying, I don't believe what, what you say. And then not enduring all things. Parenting is hard work. It is a lot of work. It does not get easier as the kids grow up either. But Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, and God has called us to give our lives for our children. Fathers, you are not called to your job as much as you are called to be a dad. No job. I would rather see you as a trash man or whatever demeaning job you can think of and be a good dad. It's what it's all about. But dads, we don't get the immediate fulfillment 
out of raising our kids. We don't see it, and we have to be laying down our lives to the Lord in order to understand this. Dads, it is tough, but love bears all things. Love never fails. You have to love your kids. Well, I do love my kids. No, you don't. If you're not disciplining them, if you have no plan for your family, you are failing to love your kids. That's how it works. So how are we doing so far? Dads, moms, is this a, is there some elbows going on under the, you know, where no one can see? Or are you like, oh, you are a hypocrite? Well, I came across this little self-test, and it's quite convicting. So let's bring it on. If it's coming, if, we're, if we need to know, then let's, let's know, okay? Dad, these are some questions we're going to ask. Dad, when your children are in your presence, do you discipline them? Or do you let mom do it? Or do you let them go with no discipline? If anyone else is doing it when you're home, dad, change that. Man up and discipline your kids. It is your job, not your wife's. She's just following your rules. She's assisting you. She is helping you. She's your helpmate. It's your responsibility. Your children's behavior is your responsibility, not your wife's. Number two, mom. You thought you were going to get out of here without a question. <laughs> Mom, when your children are in your, uh, sorry, do you consult your husband for input on all aspects of discipline? Or do you think he's a big goober who doesn't care anyway? And maybe he doesn't. Maybe he is a goober right now. But you know what's going to help him stop being a goober? If you're always like, honey, what are we going to do about Johnny? He did this. Well, I don't know. You just take care of it. I, I need direction. I need, you're, you're the dad, and I need you to tell me what the right discipline is. Well, I haven't thought about it. Well, would you think about it, please? <laughs> would you write down a list? Because that's what Pastor Sean said to do. So now you need to do it. Wives, consult your husband. Say, what, what should I do? What should I do? And then if he says, be consistent then be consistent. Just do what he says. He says it's three swats if he doesn't listen. Well, then come over here and do it. Well, I'm in Africa right now. Okay, well, then I'll do it. But it's going to be like 10 times. I'm sorry, but we got to be consistent. Let's keep doing it. I'll pray for strength. And then when I get home, I'll take over. I will take over because they're my kids and I love them. Dad, do you listen to your wife's input on the emotional state of your kids. Dad, we are idiots when it comes to the emotional state of our children. And we can sometimes be like, discipline, punishment, now it's going down now. And our wife may come up to us and say, that child has had a very rough day. Their, one of their friends at school broke up with them. And uh, my son Jordan, he has friends that break up with him all the time. I don't understand in kindergarten how you can have breakups. But he says it all the time. It's funny. And he has an emotional day sometimes. And sometimes he's having a hard time accepting the discipline. And my wife will explain that to me. And it will help me. But dads, are you, do you listen to this information? Are you looking for this? Are you asking for this information? Mom is just more emotionally in tune to her kids than dad is. So don't be hard. Mom, do you keep information from your husband? Not informing him on everything regarding the children. Dad, when mom says no and the kids come to you, do you always consult with your wife before responding? This happens all the time. <laughs> In our house, anyway. It happens all the time. Mom says no. They think I didn't hear or I didn't hear, and they come and talk to me. It's my job to go and consult with her and say, hey, what, did, did they ask you about this? Mom. Do you find yourself arguing with your children or teen, defending yourself and why you made a particular rule or disciplinary decision? Moms, you don't have to argue about anything. You have one answer. Dad says. And the kids can say, but why? I talk to him. But I don't like it. Talk to him. But he's mean. Talk to him. He's your dad. He loves you. But you love me more. Well, yes, but no. <clears throat> you don't have to 
do that. Moms, you are free. You are free when you have a husband that's following the Lord. Isn't that great? Don't you guys want a godly husband that follows the Lord? Yes, it's such a blessing. Such a blessing. So you don't have to argue with your child or teen and just say it's dad's rules. Parents, both of you, husbands and wives, moms and dads, have you sat down together and agreed on the rules and disciplines you will use with your children? Parents, do you disagree in front of your children over the rules or discipline issues? Got to get on the same page. Okay, so I realize that I may not have been as faithful as I would like as in parenting unto the Lord. And you guys may have come to the same realization. When I hear all this, I'm quite convicted, and I feel like there's a lot of areas that I could grow as a dad. And so I'm, I'm you know, I want to start over. And that's okay, because the Lord is merciful and full of grace and compassion, and now is a great time for us to start over. Now is an awesome time to start serving the Lord. And so let, let us look at a quick roadmap for how we can get our parenting and our families back in the right path, back in the right way of serving the Lord. Number one, confess your sins. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, confess your sins to one another, and, and uh, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So bad parenting is a sin. It's a sin. And there is no, I'm just doing my best. Did doing your best do anything for your salvation? No, you can't get saved by doing your best. Was anyone forgiven of their sins by doing their best? Absolutely not. We come to the Lord, we confess that we can't do it, and the Lord gives us grace. This bad parenting is a spiritual deficiency. It's a heart disease. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse our hearts and fix our hearts. And we have to come to him and him alone to correct our parenting. Husbands, it is impossible to be good husbands and fathers in your own strength. You will burn out. You will give up. Come to Jesus now before it's too late. Number two, ask for forgiveness from others. Husbands, man up and take responsibility in front of your wives and your kids. Let them know that you recognize the selfish way that you've been leading and your commitment to honor the Lord from this point forward. You won't be perfect, but it's the direction you're going to go. You are now following Jesus instead of going your own way. This is the direction, the roadmap I'm following. Number three, on our, on our notes, there's even four lines for you to do this start over plan. Number three is forgiving others. Forgive others. Bitterness is not going to fix anything in your family. Your children need you and your wife and your spouse reunited, and it's never too late to fix things. So you've got to forgive your husband if he's been a goober of a leader. Forgive him. And your wife if she's been rebelling against all this. Forgive her and just keep moving forward. Number four, fathers, hold a family meeting and establish your vision. Explain the rules, explain the consequences, and explain the punishments. Write them all down so everyone can see it. Explain that this is, you're doing this because it's what the Bible says. Explain that mom is going to be helping dad, but these are dad's rules, so no one can complain to mom. Confess your own sin and declare your intention to serve God as your father and pray publicly to ask God for his help, his grace. What an amazingly powerful lesson for your children and your spouse to observe dads, a dad who relies on God's grace, a dad who says, I have such an amazing task in front of me to lead this family, and I'm going to do it as unto the Lord, but with the Lord's help. So kids, you know where you're going to see me before you get up? You're going to see me with the Lord. You know where you're going to see me at night before I go to sleep? You're going to see me with the Lord. All day long, I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm going to be in the Word because I can't do this on my own. I can't. I, we will crash. We will burn. Our family will go down. And I love you guys too much for that to happen. I love you guys, family, spouse, and sons and daughters, enough to go looking for the resources that we need as a family. I will pursue God 
in the morning. I will pursue him at night because his resources are the only ones that work. That's a dad who will have an army following him. He will have a family that glorifies the Lord and honors them. Dads, let's commit to do that. And the first way that we can engage with God now is we're going to pray and we're going to take communion. So let's all stand up. Let's all stand up. We're going to sing a, a last song and we're going to have communion. It's going to be open communion down here. So during the song, as we start playing, just come up and serve yourself communion and, and pray that God takes this study and just puts it inside us. So the band's going to go ahead and come up. <clears throat> we're going to pray. So, Father, we come to you, and we're going we're gonna to take communion now. We're going to commit our eyes to stare at you. We're going to remember what you have done and how, what you have gone through to provide the resources for us to be godly dads and godly moms and godly children. Lord, you, you paid such an amazingly high price such a high price, Lord, for, for us to be bought and for us to be born again. And so, Lord, we, we remember that now as we take communion and as we, um, as we take that cracker, we remember your body being broken for us and then your blood being poured out. Lord, it reminds us of the resources being poured out the blood of Christ is what makes us godly. And Lord, we engage with that now. We take it inside us. We take what you did and we, we put it in our hearts and we hold it there and we let Calvary be our only reason for living and our only reason, God, for being at church and for loving our families. Lord, it's because of you and it's by your example that we do this. In your name we pray. Amen.